What if your entire podcast was a lie? Now, alternate tagline, alternate tagline, alternate tagline. The fight for the podcast will be the fight of his life. That's that's even worse. They're both the first ones. Yeah, yeah, I guess. What what if your entire life was a lie is almost something. It, it, it's half of something, right. right? It's you're like okay, and right, like you're, you're like uh huh. The, the, I mean, look, there are like three main posters, right? The first one is black and white headshot of Taylor Lautner. It's literally his headshot, right? That's, and, they probably just pulled it from IMDb Pro. Yes, and it just some out of focus like staircase in the background, and it says, "What if your entire life was a lie?" Abduction. That's almost something. I feel like if the poster was literally like a wanted poster with that tagline on it, that would work, right? That would sell the idea. The other poster is Taylor Lautner like sliding down the side of a building as glass is cracking, holding a gun. And that one is the fight for the truth will be the fight of his life. This just feels like a poster. I just remember walking by a subway station where this was up and just going like, yeah, I'm never going to see that. I, I, there is nothing in this poster compelling me to ever see this movie. Oh, he's sliding. I've always wanted to see Taylor Lautner slide. But just what the fuck is that telling you? It was DOA because of that. It was like, yeah, what, Taylor Lautner's in an action movie. That's all they had to pitch us on, really. Even though this is a high concept movie. Look, whatever. It is. I mean, it, it fucks up its concept, but it's ostensibly a high concept movie. And also, they were very confident that, look, Taylor Lautner is in an action movie was a money pitch. Yeah. He uh, should I not be talking here? No, oh, let me just you say that he talking. People, uh, one of the things, one of the great things about hit pressing play on 2011's abduction was getting teleported right back to that moment in time where Taylor Lautner was coming off a of twilight with more heat than the sun on him. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely plausible that Taylor Lautner and his abs were the next action star. Right. Big, chesty man. He's ready to fight, right? Yes. That is the main thing to talk about on this episode, because certainly as a conclusion to the filmography of John Singleton, it is depressing and uninteresting. (laughs) As a time capsule of this moment in Hollywood and this young man's career and sort of what we do to young stars and all this sort of shit, it's fascinating but inherently just what i watched <laughs> has to be one of the most aggressively uncompelling movies we have Incredible. ever ever watched for this yeah podcast, it's right? one your eyes just slide off the yeah, screen it's yeah. dog shit it's dog shit right yeah but it's if you come up with that sort of like you come up with the the matrix right and you're like boring like bad but watchable respectable but boring you know you're like this is right in the middle of just like nothing compelling happening well i part of the problem and i hate you know to use it to use a a, a industry phrase a th- part of the the problems are the third act problems oh. there's a big there's a big set piece at the end of this taylor lautner i'm just gonna call his character by his by, by his actual <laughs> taylor lautner does is completely inactive yes. in the big set piece at the end. He goes uh, to a, a he goes to a, a Pittsburgh Pirates game. He sits there, he has a conversation, and then at the end, people over his earpiece do everything, and he does, and he just stands there and watches it happen. 
Well, that it's it's almost the m- most astounding element of this movie was like in some recent episode, because I should mention this is a blank check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, primarily directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks, to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they're abducted, baby. look there wasn't a good line to butcher but i had that one in the chamber uh this has been a mini series on the films of john singleton and talk about fitting the thesis that i just laid out a dude who comes out of the gate with the youngest youngest still today best director nominee ever hit movie made man studio system uh, and then this is a completely noble uh, end to his career, which we'll get into a little bit, and we'll get into the Taylor Lautner stuff. Because, uh, oh, yeah. yes, this is this has been a miniseries on the films of Singleton called Pods in the Cast. Today we're, we're closing that chapter because, sadly, this is the final film made before his untimely death. Uh, gone far too soon. Yep. He's not going to make another movie. Well, let me double check. Let me see on IMDb Pro if he has anything. I don't think so. I'm sorry. Abducted 2. Abducted again. If I were his children and Abducted 2 was listed as future projects, I would sue IMDb. (laughs) Like, at what point does Hollywood's quest for IP become so desperate that they're like, uh, we're we're circling Taylor Lautner for abduction too. I don't know. Do you guys want that? Like, is it time for a comeback? I mean, there's a there's a lore there. You know, we haven't really unpacked <laughs> right. what's going on with his dad. It's very mysterious. We only see his lips. Uh, you know what what was the big secret uh, still to be revealed? Why could they not reveal who his parents were? Why did they make it seem like his mom <laughs> might have been Marilyn Monroe? Still unanswered questions. A lot of things uh, that we can unpack in in uh, in abducted too. I mean, it is wild that we are now in the tenth anniversary of this movie. You talk about just fucking time flattening, right? Like this movie does not feel ten years old in terms of cultural memory. When you go like, oh right, wasn't there a time they tried to make Taylor Lautner an action star and they yes. put him on a poster with a gun? You're like, right, that was like three years ago. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's very representative of where Hollywood was in 2011, and I think it's very fascinating to think about this movie coming out the same year that uh, Thor and Captain America come out. Um, did you know that the abduction Twitter account at abduction still exists? I love it. And recently tweeting like. Wished yeah. Michael Nyquist a happy birthday in 2018 after he had died. After he had died, yes. R.I.P. <laughs> Tweeting clips, I'll, I'm your father, but I'll never be your dad. In 2018, like, Taylor Lautner has vanished from yes. pop culture, but the abduction. Anyway, I just I Googled abduction, and that's what came Ta- up. Taylor Lautner, let's make this clear. Taylor Lautner has not been in a film since 2016. It's shocking. His last on-screen appearance, period, was a British TV show in 2018. Taylor Lautner has not been on camera acting since before the last time the abduction Twitter account posted something. This is this this speaks to listen, he's bad in this film. Okay. Let's he just is. get that out there. It's a flop performance. He's horrendous in this film. That said. The fact that he has, as you just outlined, has not been in a project in three years now uh, speaks to some other. Th- There's got to be something else, right? Look, 
we're going to have to dig into this. We're going to have to theorize. We're very excited that you're here because you're clearly champing at the bit to get into all of this. Uh, our guest today, of course, is Jason Concepcion. Long overdue on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, I, this, is the, this is the thing I want to say right off the bat. And I say this with full awareness <laughs> of the fact that I am the one saying this. And I want to make it clear, I'm not saying this in like an irate way. I'm just stating this okay. as an objective sort of shock largely out of the uh my my sort of uh i don't know passive acceptance acceptance of the way this fucked industry usually works i am so surprised that as a white man taylor Lautner was not given a second chance <laughs> i'm not saying he should have been i'm not saying he's he's owed that and certainly there's a history of just like i feel like usually when an actor is given one chance to be the star of a movie and it bombs and they're never seen from again, it is almost always an actor of color. There is a one-strike policy in Hollywood with actors of color in lead roles, and Taylor Lautner sort of, like, got that treatment, and you have to wonder if it was somewhat by his choice. It's gotta be. I mean, according to, listen, according to Wikipedia, this movie tripled its initial budget, almost, $35 million uh, budget, $90 million box office. That includes international. Right. I mean, uh, You're stretching, but it's it's maybe wasn't the worst flop in the universe, probably, I guess. Yeah, right. Like it broke even or whatever. And, and it feels right. Like Pittsburgh probably kicked in a couple million yeah. dollars in tech. Because they're like, if as long as you say the name of the city 40 times, we'll let you shoot at a Pirates game. You right. can absolutely disrupt the game. Whatever you need to do. For as long as you need to do it, you could do it. But you think about like how many failed franchise guys get like multiple bites at the apple, you know, and get like a couple of movies like this at whatever budget level they're being tested for. Right. Whether it's a 30 million dollar Lionsgate thriller or like a 200 million dollar CGI spectacle. Anytime a guy is kind of prematurely put front and center in a movie like this and Lautner arguably it, it made sense to test him at this point, right? Yeah. It, it it would seem that the demand was there, although I think they misidentified what his demand was and who his audience was. But uh, even when those movies flop, those guys usually get a second or third shot. And then those guys usually go like, okay, now I'll do a TV show. Now I'll do like a Sundance indie movie. Right, yes. You know, they just like kick around for a couple I, I, of years. The, with, with the explosion of streaming platforms and content, you tell me this guy can't be on Vikings or something? Yes. I mean, and look, the Vikings guy is a perfect example. The Vikings <laughs> guy stars in Warcraft. And that, that bombs, and then they're like, I don't know, here are like eight more movies. Yeah, yeah be in this expensive HBO show, right? right. He's in that yeah. the robot show. Right, yeah. you get to be the dad and lean on Pete. Like, just show up and shit. <laughs> I am racking my brain for that guy's name right now, and I can't Travis tell you it. Fimmel. Fimmel, I was, Fimmel. Okay, there we go. I was, I was helping someone prep for a trivia match today by being like, remember Travis Fimmel is the star of Warcraft, and that's the only reason it's in my head. Um, but yes, here here is like Lautner's entire film career. Okay, okay. He's in something called Shadow Fury as Young Kismet in two thousand one. Then two thousand five, Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl in three D, cheaper by the dozen too. Yeah, right. Dude. In between those, he's doing a few. Like he was on a couple Bernie Mac shows. Sure. Right. He did a little TV. But right then, that's 
my know, wife and kids left yes. and right cheaper right. shark boy amazing okay so then that's 2005 those two movies he's endearing himself to a certain generation of audience goers right then 2008 twilight huge step up 2009 huge. he gets jack twilight new moon now he's a fucking matinee idol right now he's a pinup 2010 valentine's day now he is at least in terms of press dating taylor swift yeah that's part of his fucking identity he's in that they're a couple. They're getting papped out in the street. Eclipse comes out that same year. He's fucking killing it, right? Then the following year, 2011, Abduction, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. The following year after that, 2012, Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. 2013, Frat Boy Andy and Grown Ups 2, uncredited. Two years later, Tracers, which is his second attempt at doing like an action movie, right. which I... I feel like it's not even released to theaters. It, it's it's a parkour. Yeah, I don't think. But I essentially goes like sort of a to red box. box. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, think it mostly comes out in other countries. There's like no information on that. It's, getting... a, it's a movie that premiered in Denmark and Malaysia. I don't exactly. Know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Uh, uh, Ridiculous Six is that sure. same year where he, he has. He is one of the Ridiculous Six. That's the one where he has a big part. And it's like, okay, it what seems like. What number is he? Uh, he's four. One, two, three, four. He's four. Yeah, he's he's sandwiched between uh, Hurley from Lost and and Rob Schneider. Yes, who doesn't want to be there? I I believe he is the dumb one. That's sort of his character bit. Uh, A strong-necked man with a happy-go-lucky personality. He's Lil Pete. Lil Pete. Um, and that's 2015. 2016, yep. he is in like his fucking indie drama, Run the Tide. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is about uh, uh, a film focuses on a young man who learns that his former abusive drug addicted mother has been released from prison and is planning on fixing her broken relationship with her two sons. And that is his final film performance. That is five years ago now. And the main thing he has done since then is uh, he did two seasons of a British TV show called Cuckoo. One in 2014, one in 2018, because British TV takes its time. And he did one season of Scream Queens in 2016. Yep, that's it. Done, done. That's it. We covered the entirety that's his of whole his career. post-Twilight career. Yep. You know, he's only 29. That yep. was a shocking fact. That, yep. so I, that was the thing that shocked me. That's what As I was watching this brain. movie last night, I... I, I hit up the old Google machine and, and I was watching with my girlfriend. I said, guess how old Taylor Lautner is. She's like, I don't know, 35. I'm like, no, 37. <laughs> no, 29. It is. That's a shocking number. He is 19 in this movie, or at least he's 19 when it comes out. Right. And as we covered, cause we've been doing the twilight movies on our Patreon for the last two breaking dawns, Taylor Lautner received $25 million per Woo! movie. He made a combined $50 million on the last two films just in upfront salary. Not even mentioning his percentage of the gross, which was pretty high. He, K-Stew, and Pat's got all, they all got the same deal for Yeah, those. but once again, Loudner was 18 years old when he made <laughs> he it. Was, I know. I mean, it's great. He's two years younger than Kristen Stewart, who is right. not old in those movies. Like, she's like 20. And like he really, especially in the first couple, you're like, oh, this kid's like a baby. And he's then you know, boy. then he's then he's big, and you're like, okay, he's like the big hunky guy. But like he to to be in and out of superstardom, like people screaming for you in in mass, 
to like whatever his life is now, which I assume is, I don't know, he has lots of money and does whatever he wants and good right? for him. Uh, like, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I might wish for it if I had a monkey's paw. It might be all right. Like, I want to be a movie star and I get to be Taylor Lautner. Maybe I maybe I take that. I don't know. I, I just still am absolutely gobsmacked that he has not been in a single thing in, in, yeah. in three years. That no Somebody would put this like, guy in something. Right. Let me let fun. me roll the dice with him. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Once again, I just want to clarify nothing in three years. And the one thing that makes it three years rather than five years is a show that only aired in England. <laughs> right. I I hope he's OK. I hope he's OK, too. And my, my guess is he's fine. I was going down the sure. rabbit hole a little bit. He is dating a lady named Taylor again. Cool. <laughs> oh boy! But Here but she's go. she's a registered nurse. He's dating someone outside the industry, and uh, I went to her Instagram, and she has one hundred forty-one thousand followers. Oh my God! Holy shit! Just for dating him, and her five most recent posts are sponsored. I mean, so she's just like a registered nurse in like Valencia, California, who also now is a spokesperson because she has so much clout from dating Taylor Lautner 10 years after he was. a movie Yeah, now star. I'm looking at his Instagram. Yeah, I don't know. He's hanging out with this lady, I guess. Right. He just seems normal. He apparently still lives with his parents. He bought mm-hmm. a bigger house for his family in Valencia. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I just like taking out the garbage. Yeah, he seems to. He's always wearing a baseball cap that says family on it. Interesting. He loves his fucking family. And what's interesting is in these cases where guys fucking disappear, right? You usually realize like, oh, at some point they became disillusioned with the industry and they enrolled in law school. You know, there's like some career change where they go. They got very committed to the rights of animals. Like yeah. they, they just made all this fucking money. And there's a point where they go, I care about something else more. I'm devoting my life to this cause or some weird hobby. I now own a this. I now run a this. And he just doesn't seem to have a thing like that that's that's at least publicly telegraphed. Right. Maybe he got very, very into, I don't know, like storming the Capitol on January 6th. Just everyone scan the video and see if you see a black baseball cap that says yeah, family, family on it. <laughs> right, yeah. but what, I think the thing that baffled people the most, that mm-hmm. baffled me, and I don't know if there was an answer on this, is there was literally a sequel... 15 years yes. later to the yes. Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Yeah. And like they where like the original Shark Boy and Lava Girl showed up that Taylor Dooley, who played Lava Girl, yes. was in it. And, and they recast not. Shark Boy. That was the one where where I feel like a lot of us raised our eyebrows and went yeah. like, is he okay? Because it just feels odd that he wouldn't do that. It said he was like unavailable. And I'm like, he's un really? Is he yeah. absolutely unavailable? Like he seems available. It would make sense if that came coupled with some sort of like message from him that was like, look, I enjoyed my time as an actor. It's just something right. I put past me. I have no interest right. in doing it. I didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah. 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 That, which, whatever. Yeah. The framing of unavailable. And it's also like, I believe that's a pretty small role in the film. Yeah, it's mostly it's like about a cameo. these kids. It's a cameo to sort of tie together the Rodriguez universe. It's also like he's shooting at fucking Robert Rodriguez style in his backyard in front of green screens. It probably would have been a <laughs> day in a costume to do something that's like a fun throwback to your childhood that would have meant a lot to your fans uh, you know all power to him make whatever decision you want but that's the moment where i'm like there has to be some larger reason there's gotta be yeah and i don't <sighs> buy that it is just 
that this movie stained no. him so much because Hollywood, no. even if he had a bad stench to him at this point and the immediate aftermath of this, he has two giant Twilight movies come out after this. The uh, the Sandler movies were big hits. That's Sandler's like last big theatrical hit, and then Sandler's first big Netflix movie. And the other factor is like at this point, we're ten years out. There's Twilight nostalgia. People would be ready to reclaim him. I I feel like uh, the uh, one of the kind of mysteries about this is you know a star at the level of Taylor in 2011 has an entire apparatus around him Mm -hmm. that keeps him working that keeps him moving here's what you're doing next here's your next and these people would all uh you know be economically in some form or fashion dependent on his continuing income right has he switched teams did he fall out with his team i feel like that's got to be part of it because you you don't just like abandon you don't just stop working to this level and he and he admit you know you, you mentioned his indie that often bespeaks here's the next stage the, you know typical manager thing here's your next stage of your career where you show everybody that you also have this in your wheelhouse right, right. And, and by the way people try to make those indies and sometimes they don't work you know I, this happens a lot like you look at like ryan reynolds had his couple of years where it was like oh the big budget films flop now he's gonna do like a mississippi grind and a woman in gold and whatever and a lot of times people like take like four or five strikes until one of those movies actually kind of pops at a festival it is odd to do one right Here, look Here's the thing. I, I'm now. I'm one. I'm posting in the. I'm posting a picture in the chat of him and Case Stu in 2018, like some fashion show. And Case Stu's got like the short, you know, hair. Wow. And it, they, oh, it's wow. a nice. It's a nice image. It's like, oh yeah, there's so like, you know, they're obviously still friends. You know, Can I to, say it, also, he look. He looks good. He looks great. He looks yeah. absolutely fantastic. He looks a lot cooler than he's, he's got the look. spike yeah, he hair. Looks yeah great. he's got the beard <laughs> yeah. he looks great uh on his instagram when john singleton, guy in a movie i would when john singleton died he posted three separate instagrams like over the course of like a few days like you know obviously upset about that like i love you this one hurts you know uh i never stopped thinking about your smile like very open emotional i don't know i don't As really you said, get it. like he still is active on instagram he's got 6.5 million if followers. he just came out and was like look uh i have tens of millions of dollars yeah. and live a happy life and i'm not particularly interested in doing anything that i don't want to do i'd be like well that makes sense well, you like, know? E- it's example, just weird that he hasn't yeah yeah yes it's obviously weird because he's so young right but like example that's what cameron diaz has done Yes. And it was people are sort of like, oh, I wish he'd come back. But it also was kind of clearly communicated by both her and like her friends where they're just like, yeah, camera's just kind of done. She's married. She's happy. She's got a lot of money. She doesn't feel the need to do this she anymore. Did, she did the, the merry-go-round. It's just that his merry-go-round was so brief. And look, as you said like this wasn't the right. But this isn't the right movie for anyone. No one. That's my question. There's so to many problems is, with this movie. There's no one who makes this movie good. Right. It's not like there's a different actor. With this script that you're like, they would, I mean, they'd be better. They might be more charming. He's not very charming in it. But I mean, let's right, get, like, structurally, let's start here. Mm-hmm. We don't even get into the meat of the, oh, this kid was abducted and is uh, who he thinks are his parents or CIA agents until like 20, 25 minutes into the movie. Like, yes, we got to get going. 
if like if I'm giving notes on this, like why are we spending 15 minutes on his high school life and, uh, you know, shooting yeah. longing looks at his neighbor across the street? Let's get into the spy shit in a hundred and five minute movie. That's 10 minutes of credits. Like yeah. it's really it's yeah. it's a basically a 90 minute movie. You have to establish, though, that he's weird, you know, like oh. he's such a freak <laughs> in high school. He's like the most <laughs> handsome built fucking yeah. guy and he's like a fucking yeah he doesn't fit in with like the normal crowd his like, best friend makes here. fake ids he lives next yeah. door to the prettiest girl in school um also like you as you say jason it takes 25 minutes for this movie to actually get up on its feet and then i feel about 20 minutes later they unfold everything and explain the entire situation to you and you're yes. like what right. the fuck are you doing? The whole point of this movie is this guy doesn't understand who he is and you're just yeah. telling me? And now the rest of the movie is just kind of inert chase scenes? And you also realize that he is the MacGuffin? Like, he's kind right. of irrelevant? he's got the codes or whatever. Right, he doesn't really, he doesn't even know what he's got. He's just a bargaining chip. Like, essentially, yeah. this, it's a, you're watching, you you feel like, okay, is he born? Is he fucking Hannah? Is he some super kid built in a lab? Like oh, who are his parents? Yeah, but it's like he can kickbox <laughs> because his dad trained him because he thought someday some people are gonna chase you. He's not like a super soldier, and it just turns out like yeah, we had to like bring you over to a different house because they thought your parents were gonna get attacked because they were trying to expose some people. My second note on 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 this this film, just in terms of structure. Uh, Let's can we make our hero more active? He doesn't he he discovers that he isn't who he thinks he is completely by accident. It's this weird yes. coincidence where he and his crush from across the street go on uh, just ra what a weird thing to do. Let's Google missing children. Uh, and and that's how they find one of these bait websites uh, where he then discovers that he resembles this missing child. That's a complete coincidence, and it's yes. just a thing that happens to him. A website that was created just to bait this one kid, not even just right. like right. there's it's a larger like, conspiracy. No. That that almost makes sense if you're like, this movie is about a weird plague of children who were displaced from their right. families or whatever. Right, and they're casting a net. Like there was like, right. like a, a, a fucking Blackbriar, like, uh, you know, Born. If you're doing Born, right? There was we're a whole program. Yeah, we're paying random Russians in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, a wage to watch this bait website 24 hours a day that's the other thing you have to ask you have to ask has this bait website been up and running for 16 years this guy in flatbush is sitting behind a computer waiting for one hit right to remotely turn on his webcam or did they just launch this website? Is this new? In which case, what else have they been trying to find this fucking kid? The stakes are so high for them. Was this their only strategy? The other thing is then it's like you're like, oh, they found him and they're scared because he's actually like a super spy, right? And it's like, right. well, no, his dad's a super spy and he like left some data with him. He's just some right. kid. That's what it is. <laughs> just get the dad. Like do a movie about the dad. Like, I don't – I. It's one of those things where if I walked into a studio today, they wouldn't remember abduction because no one yes. remembers abduction. Yeah. And I said, like, here's my pitch. The Face on the Milk Carton, one of my favorite books when I was a kid, meets the Born Identity. They would be like, holy shit. Holy. Oh, my God. Oh, oh shit. Don't leave. Don't leave. Like, you know, like oh, my God. Oh, fuck. Right. And then you know what else you say? And you say, and it's that. 
but this is also a story about family. Oh, right. and oh the yeah, yeah, the yeah. Room explodes. I, like if I pitch them most of abduction, like not yeah. the <laughs> bullshit we're yelling about, but like the kid finds out, and then you know, and his dad, and we'll see the dad at the end. But it's just as you know, we can cast someone for yeah. the sequels. We'll have like a star there. They're like, yeah, yes, yes, we have to do this right now. Like, and it, they would not even remember abduction. I would get away with it again, and it would still yeah. be bad. Yeah, here's the other fascinating thing is, uh, look, we'll we'll talk about, like, why Singleton did this movie. But, sure. like, on one hand, it's depressing where you're like, ah, oh, this is sort of like a paycheck thing. Has a star dimmed that much? You know, even at the time, not knowing he was going to die so soon after. Yeah. Right? Um, this feels like kind of a generic movie. But you look at that premise and you're like, there's something there with him because his filmography is so defined by... Uh, uh, men and their relationship to their fathers or lack yes. thereof. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's so obsessed with the, the father figure in a young man's life. And even, like, you go to this opening where it's like, oh, here's a party, you know, this teenager, his weird relationship with his intense father. You're like, this is shit that Singleton has knocked out of the park and all yes. of it's inert. It's it, Here's the, another problem. Uh, and this kind of, you could put this under our hero is completely inactive for most of this film. It's an action movie. Mm-hmm. Taylor Lautner has one fight scene. Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, he beats a guy up with a golf club in his home. And then the guy says, uh, there's a bomb in the oven. And then he goes to check that there is indeed a bomb in the oven. And then they uh, jump into the pool. But like Taylor Lautner doesn't actually get to do Taylor Lautner shit. Like he fights the one guy on the train. And that's kind of it. And here's the thing. Not only is Taylor Laudner at this point most famous for being jacked, right? Right. Uh, that's the whole thing of like uh, New Moon comes out. It's fucking huge. Everyone loves him shirtless. And then the deadline story is like Taylor Lautner offered $6 million. Or was it eight? It was, I think, a million dollars per ab or it was 750000 per ab. There was some <laughs> deadline joke about how much he was worth per ab. Like, that was the whole story right. on him of, like, his body has driven Hollywood crazy. And I think that first movie <laughs> was Relativity, Ryan Kavanaugh trying to make Stretch Armstrong with Taylor Lautner. Yes. Stretch Armstrong, a weird 70s toy that was revived in the 90s. I was a fan of, but was never hugely popular as like a mythology, right? Was just, <laughs> oh, what if you filled a goopy dude with corn syrup and you could stretch him? He just looked like some blonde bodybuilder, right? Yeah, and then every, I had one and then eventually you broke it. It would break. it was weird and weird stuff leaked out of it. Yes, <laughs> right? I yeah. loved them. I had the stretch limo. I had the fetch Armstrong. I was into it. I was arguably America's biggest Stretch Armstrong fan, and I felt <laughs> no excitement when they announced that Taylor Lautner was playing Stretch Armstrong. I also just want to mention, across the 90s, Disney had the Stretch Armstrong rights for a while. At different points in time, they announced Tim Allen is going to be Stretch Armstrong. It's a family comedy. Then it was Danny DeVito is going to be Stretch Armstrong. We're casting against type. The joke is that he's short. Then it was... That sounds good. Jackie Chan is Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> You're going to see him bend in ways that Jackie's never even bent before. Then at right. some point, Disney's like, this is fucking nothing. Get out of here, right? <laughs> and then Relativity like buys it at a yard sale and goes, here's our pitch. What if Stretch Armstrong was hot and young? We're paying him $6 million. 
everyone's losing their fucking mind about this. And then off of that deal, he starts getting all these other action movies lined up. Stretch Armstrong never comes out. It goes through so many different directors and writers. I think Nicholas Stoller was supposed to do it at one point. Breck Eisner. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Just never, never seems to make any real progress. But he's like in talks for all these different things. And then Abduction becomes the one right off the runway. Lionsgate's like, we want this. We're going to have this come out before the last two Twilights. They go to Singleton. And we covered this a little bit in Four Brothers. But the year of Four Brothers is the same year as Hustle and Flow premiering at Sundance. The two movies were shot at the same time. He had pitched Hustle and Flow to Paramount. They passed. Then uh, Hustle and Flow blew up at Sundance, and Paramount makes the biggest Sundance deal up until that point in history for the movie. And the number was juiced because contingent with that deal was uh, Paramount had to produce like three more movies of protégés of Singletons, for which Singleton would get paid a million dollars per movie. Um and it seemed like he had a first look deal at Paramount to both make his own stuff and to shepherd new young filmmakers. And nothing else came of that ever again. They just fucking sat on him for like five years. And uh, he was really frustrated. Once the deal had expired, he takes pretty much the first thing that's offered to him, which is this movie. I think they sort of go like, this thing's a green light. It's going. We want this fast. You could start yeah. filming this and fucking five minutes if you wanted to right. like it's ready to go and it dinged his career and then also paramount sued him and said that he had uh because he i'm sorry he had sued paramount for not living up to the contract and paramount countersued saying he breached the contract by taking abduction which he said i only took abduction once the deal was over after you sat on me so this whole movie becomes a headache for fucking everybody terrible but the weird origins of this script or this is written by a dude named, uh, was it Sean Christensen? That's right. The, the lead singer of Stella Star. Exactly. Yep. So he is a Pratt Institute, like graphic design, visual artist. Then he starts this band on a lark that ends up being a big indie band. Uh, they're touring with big groups. And then right around the time that they end, he decides that he wants to write movies. And he writes several spec scripts, all of which immediately sell for like record amounts of money. What a, what a business. Right, he's like a, a former indie rocker who's now selling million-dollar spec scripts. It's the monkey see, monkey do thing, right? Like They're just yeah. like, oh, they, you, someone bought one of your scripts? Well, we want one of yours. We want to be in the Sean Christensen business. Right. So his first one is uh, Sydney Hall, which he ends up directing 10 years later. As yes, the vanishing of Sydney Hall, yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was his thing that was his calling card movie. Uh, then uh, there's some movie called Enter Nowhere, which does end up later getting made with Scott Eastwood and Catherine Waterston. But he's like one of these guys where none of these movies are getting made, but they're getting sold for big money. And then uh, he he writes Abduction on spec, which at the time is just referred to as an Alfred Hitchcock inspired thriller. And a sci-fi movie called The Karma Collision, which goes for $1.5 wow. million. And like Ridley Scott's buying one. Warner Brothers is buying one. He's all over the place. And then these movies just kind of sit on a shelf for like six years, right? Nothing's getting made. And then like Taylor Lautner's a thing. Lionsgate's making all these Euro thrillers. They want to make a Taylor Lautner with a gun movie. I think this just suddenly gets packaged very quickly together of, oh, that was a hot spec script three years ago. It stars a teenager. It's an action thriller. You could put him in that. Because it's not like there are a lot of 
16-year-old thriller scripts lying around in Hollywood ready to go. <laughs> right? You have to just imagine it's like, oh, we want to make him a, the next right. movie star. Give me a teen action movie. Right. Yeah. There's not a ton of them. Right. Yes. Yeah. So this just like immediately gets fast-tracked, but they also bring on, uh, what's his name? Jeffrey Nachmaninoff. Uh, uh, Nachmanoff, who did that movie Traitor. Oh, tr- oh, Traitor. Oh, the yeah, Don Cheadle movie. movie. He the, wrote and yeah, directed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's like, it's like a terrorism movie, right? Correct. It's like a bomber movie or whatever. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. He's also one of the credited writers on The Tourist. Yeah, great movie. A, a phenomenal sure. movie. And then he since then- He made the then, movie Replicas with Keanu. Oh, wow. He made movies that don't wow. exist. He makes movies that he don't exist. That don't exist. Right. But they bring him on to rewrite it. And it feels like he rewrote the script almost- Entirely. You have to imagine that whatever fucking script Christensen wrote, you know, years earlier that had heat around it, that was described as Hitchcockian, does not really resemble what this fucking Not at all. That is, you said, Jason, the Taylor Lautner, like, team must have come in and overthought this thing to death. Because it just feels so flattened out. I mean, it's clearly like one of the notes was uh, Jason Bourne is big right now. Can we get uh, some Jason Bourne elements? It'd be great if there was a flashback and he uh, kind of remembers this traumatic thing that happens to him uh, when he slides down a ramp a la Jason Bourne and then jumps to the ground. He should hurt his leg and then he should limp away like all these kind of things fight on a train. I, I mean, Christensen after this gets so disillusioned with how his scripts were treated in Hollywood that he decides to make his own short film, which then wins the Oscar. Wow. Wrote, directed, and film. starring him. Uh, it's uh, called uh, Curfew. Right. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. And then he, uh, I was very surprised when it won that year. But then he turns that into a feature which kind of doesn't exist. Uh, I complete, completely doesn't exist, would be my guess. Yes, Before I Disappear is the name of the feature. And then he went back and directed Sidney Hall, his spec script that got him attention in the first place a decade plus earlier. And that also... And that seems to be that. Yeah, disappears. I mean, it's this collision of non-existent things. The thing about Taylor Lautner is, and I don't mean to be rude, he's very swole in the Twilight movies all of a sudden, but he's not doing any action in them. There's a werewolf no. that does action. They're like, yeah. the action is happening on a computer. Like, he does not do any hand-to-hand combat. Right. No, he carries Bella, or he starts to leap, and then they call cut, and he walks off screen, and they replace him with the, the wolf. I think you've put your finger on 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 what is probably, is, is certainly part of what is limited his career in terms of the action genre. I mean, just watching this movie, uh, there's, there's a fight scene, but like Taylor doesn't land any kicks. Like it's always like, here goes Taylor into the spin and then they cut away. And then you see the guy flying across the room. Uh, There's a chase scene towards the ends, you know, at, at the, uh, at PNC park. And that's the only time you kind of get that parkour kind of thing happening where it's like, where was this the whole movie? I, I get the feeling that maybe he's just not good at action, and but he's swole. But Jason, this is what is absurd. And this is the other reason Hollywood got so into the idea of making him an action star. Taylor Lautner 
a black belt martial artist from the age of eight. He competed in national championships. The guy can fucking fight. You, you can watch think, videos right. of him yeah. as like a kid doing shit. And even this is my background on uh, my, my Zoom window right now. But when he went on SNL, his fucking opening monologue was him doing jump kicks and shit. Like he can fight. Now there is a difference between right. yeah. Reality, actual yeah, competitive yeah. martial arts and uh, on screen fighting because on-screen fighting is in many ways closer to dance than it is to martial arts, right? And even the best martial artists on film tend to understand that and understand that there's a dance-like element of the choreography and what works well in combat does not necessarily play well on screen and vice versa. But in theory, one of the things they're paying for with this guy is he should be able to do his own stunts. The thing is, it's beyond the action, which is not good. <laughs> And and like and that, it's his entire physicality. He seems incredibly awkward with doing just human motion. Yes, like yes. just just. I mean, I'm gonna rip a friend of the pod, Allison Wilmore. This is a, uh, she wrote a review of this movie years ago, mm-hmm. where she she basically she nailed it. Like this is the first film I've seen where an actor where where, where when an actor goes to put his hand thoughtfully on his chin. I'm afraid he might poke himself in the eye. <laughs> like she's just like, I'm just like, you know, like you're like, I don't think this guy actually knows how to move I'd any like part to, of his body. Go ahead, Jason. I, I'd like to highlight two moments along along those lines. The first is, uh, uh, so Taylor arrives at uh, you know this like uh, like secret safe house. And that's where he picks up the phone and other things. And he's like searching through a rucksack. Right. And he's looking yeah. through it as if he were blind, as though think of the way a blind person would look through something without looking down it, without opening it and looking down. He's shoved his hand into there as if it's a, crev- a crevice or something. And he's just kind of feeling around. And he's staring at the ceiling. Who looks through a backpack that way? You would open it and look inside of it. Then there's another scene finally uh, where, uh, you know, Lily, uh, Lily Collins has is been attacked on the train and we cut back to uh, to Taylor Lautner, uh, Nathan Harper. Uh, he is in their cabin on the train, sitting in the chair in a it, I, what is he even doing? He's sitting there like I can't even describe. He's he's kind of leaning back. He's got one arm like on the window and he's just kind of in weird repose doing nothing <laughs> in a way that no one has ever sat unless it's like for a Wrangler jeans ad. Like, why are you sitting like that? This movie also has truly, and I know this is a favorite subject of yours, David, but truly one of the least convincing screen kisses I have ever seen. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's awful. And again, I feel like... And it's supposed to be a moment of like, oh, now they're alone. They've been on the run. And now they're just like ripping each other's clothes off. Here is the heat. You ready for this chemistry, folks? It's going to blow you off the screen. They ostensibly dated after this. Really, him and uh, really, I yeah. didn't know that. I mean, I, here's the thing: it's that the Twilight. I keep going back to Twilight because it's the sort of optical yeah. illusion. I just watched all five of those movies for this podcast, and I'm like, well, but he kissed Kristen Stewart in Twilight, and it was hot, right? And then I'm like, wait, did they really? I, they didn't actually kiss much, like, right? Yeah. It's like very because they're always like about to, and then she's like, they have oh, the one kiss. They have the one time, yeah. And like, then you're like, okay, yeah, but he did actually like. Well, no, and you're like, yeah, okay, but he, 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 like sat and moved and ran around. You're like, no, actually. 
actually everyone in Twilight kind of just walks with their hands at their side slowly <laughs> in and out of locations. Like it is a lot of people being like, hello, like with their, you know, and especially him with yeah. this like tree trunk body, like he probably barely knew how to like operate after he'd like put on 60 pounds of muscle or whatever the hell he did. Well, can I throw out my big theory about his performance? And this sort of ties into everything we're sort of saying about, like, the pressure that was on him, the team surrounding him, how much everyone was trying to manage his career and what they thought he should turn into and everything. David, your background right now on Zoom is Taylor Lautner as Shark Boy. He is fun in that movie. Yeah. He yeah, is better action star in that film than he is in this movie. He's got some charisma on screen he's got some coiled anger he does better fighting in that cgi movie in which he is in a fucking ice cream land <laughs> with a shark fin <laughs> on his back than this one right and he's what he's 12 in that movie 11 10 yeah when did it come out uh he was born in 92 that movie came out in He's like 13. He's like 12 13. or 13. Yeah, 13. Yeah, yeah. But he he is more he that is a better audition tape for him as an action star than this film is, okay? Then yes. Twilight puts him in this like emotional uh, sort of lovesick uh heartthrob mode, which we've said in our Twilight commentaries, what he should have done was gotten himself a Sparks. Yeah. He should have done a fucking Nicholas Sparks movie. Yeah. He should have doubled down on his female audience. He should have done the Channing Tatum thing. Yeah. He should have taken his time and slowly built it up. Showed he could do comedy, this and that. Like, Chang Tatum, it took him a while before guys were accepting him in action movies. But this is the thing. Yeah. He could have. He I could have done I refuse to believe that he couldn't have post-abduction. I, I think he could have. Maybe not. Maybe not. People really had their knives out for Twilight. And, you know, Stewart and Pattinson, they went to ground. Like, they just went to Europe and started making art movies. They were like, fuck, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm not, I'm not doing Hollywood for a while. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, you know, there was so much like people really reviled the, the Twilight thing unfairly, in my opinion, by and large, you know, but like, so maybe he couldn't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't well, know. I also just think there was this thing of selling him as an action star before anyone had seen proof of concept. Yeah. And the idea that it was like he had lined up five movies with multimillion dollar paydays before one of them had successfully come out and then all of them fall by the wayside. But I do think there was just this thing of everyone knew they wanted him to be an A-list action star, but no one had identified what his movie star persona was. And so it feels like both he, his internal pressure, and the team around him and everyone was just fucking flattening him out. Yeah. Was just sort of going like, just be like normal. Be like John normal guy. Yeah. And and you watch this performance and it does feel like everything he's doing is so overthought, every motion. Right. Like there's someone in his ear being like, normal, normal, yeah. remember, yes. normal. And he's like, yeah. mm -hmm, yes, yes, no feelings, <laughs> no thoughts. Right, where you're just like, even to the degree where you're like, this guy should be getting more emotional about these things that he's finding out. His yeah. parents just died in front of him. In other scenes, you're like, he should be more aggressive. And everything is just kind of like flat. Yeah, there's no edge at all. Uh, to your point, he doesn't, and then this feels like a very conscious choice. He doesn't really kill anyone in this movie. This is an no, action no. movie. And, and it's they a pretty take, bloodless. Yeah, they yeah. really take care to. I, I would theorize protect something of that kind of like uh, Twilight goody image. Yeah. When he fights the guy on the train, he kicks out a window and then hurls the guy out the window of a moving train. But then they they're very careful. Singleton is very careful to to show that the guy 
absolutely survives being thrown out of the train. <laughs> Pretty <Right>. unscathed. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, right. It would be better if he was like, again, if this was more of a straight up born thing and he was like snapping someone's neck 30 minutes in, but they just, they're, that's not what they want to do. They're too yeah. like, no, 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 no. Yeah, this but is- also, you, you, I feel like you could have your cake and eat it too, where it's like, this is some repressed side of his personality. Yeah. And it's coming out, and he's like scared by it's his a own switch violence. Flip. Yeah, totally. Right. I I understand that you want him to be in sweetie pie mode, but that also gets into like the contradictory nature of what they're asking him to do in this film, uh, and how kind of irrelevant his character largely is. To your point about irrelevancy, so this movie is basically an extended chase scene, and then at the end, after the uh, the reveal that one of the top CIA agents who has been working on this case is actually a bad guy, his name is on this this knock list that uh, that Taylor uh, Nathan has been carrying around, and there's been a murder at PNC Park, and and Nathan has been running from international assassins, and the CIA shows up, and they're like, okay. You can go. Bye. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a damp. <laughs> it's like, oh Thanks it's for like, solving that mystery. Yeah, right, like, and you, sir, are under arrest. Like, you know, like. Well, I, I'm just like, I'm looking uh, at the, the notes uh, that the great J.J. Birch uh, assembled for us for this episode. Uh, and th- he has these quotes here. Uh, where, where was it? Where everyone's just so fucking confident about the fact that this thing's going to be a franchise. Joe, Joe Drake, yeah. who ran Lionsgate, is like, this is our born. Yeah. The story is set up. There's a great character. There's going to be lots of places we're going to take it. Singleton's like, we're going to do two or three movies. Like, I, those guys, David, <laughs> David, 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 I have to correct you. I have to correct you because the specific wording here is so yeah. much worse than what you just it said. It is. It's a bummer. Singleton's <laughs> verbatim quote is, I think we're going to get at least two or three movies out of this. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, and like at you can least. read that. Bare like minimum, someone we're is like milk three out of squeezing this an orange and they're like, no, 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 there's definitely there's at another least glass. three cups of it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, uh, the funny thing is, uh, you know, Nick and Nick and JJ point this out. It's like, this is like a rough time for Lionsgate. They got a lot of crap. Uh, clogging up theaters, movies like uh, Conan, uh, the Conan remake, and mm-hmm. and this, and it's like ah shit, like they saw had been their money franchise, and their saw is finally gone. Right, and Warrior, which is Warrior's a good quietly movie. one of the best American films of the last ten years, but they totally mishandled, bombed, and fucked up its Oscar campaign. And they were so screwed, and they were pinning their hopes on this among other things, and then The Hunger Games comes along, like right after and like totally turns the studio around and that's like what they like they they found a real like you know young adult franchise that people actually Mm. cared about and like latched onto that versus like trying to kind of invent one out of whole cloth like out of nothing here and like who who gives a shit like you'll you won't what's what's his fucking name nathan price nathan harper nathan price yeah but but like it's it's committing the two cardinal sins of franchise building which is there's nothing interesting in the mythology of this movie and your lead character is completely unwritten like we don't want to follow this guy doing anything and there's nothing going on in the world at large that is compelling but like 
you load this movie up. You know it's a singleton. And you always have that hope in the back of your mind when we're doing this podcast especially. We know a bomb is coming, but it's like, this has been an interesting career, an interesting director. And then always want something to be a happy feat too. You want to go like, wait, this is secretly a masterpiece. No one talked about this. Right. (laughs) Right. And then like, all right, Taylor Lautner. Okay, Lily Collins. I like Lily Collins. Alfred Molina, Jason Isaacs, Sigourney Weaver, Maria Bello, Michael yeah. Nyquist. You're like, oh shit, like everyone in this, yeah. it, because, and probably because it's Singleton. They're like, oh yeah, sure, I'll do a John Singleton movie. Like, he still has enough, you know, juice. And John Singleton, you're like, the guy's going to get on base, right? I know yeah, this right. thing's not uh, a right? home yeah. run. It, yeah. I, uh, I have, I can't say how I know this, but I, but, uh, oh my God. As I understand it, Michael Nyquist, this is his first American movie. And so, right. It's like right after the dragon tattoo movies are correct. And and as I understand it, uh, Taylor and his manager were on a plane and they were watching dragon tattoo. And Taylor said, I want that guy in my movie. And that is how Michael Nyquist. Wow. Came to book his first American role. So Taylor also made his career? I mean, honestly, good for Taylor Lautner. But that's like, that is also fascinating to me, right? That we talk about, and I understand they seem to be different people, right? They seem to have different objectives in their career. But Pattinson and Stewart very quickly start going like, gotta find the filmmaker. Right, right. I find the filmmakers I want to work with. I find the collaborators I want to work with. I trust them. The guy does seem to have some taste if he's watching Michael Nyquist on a plane and going like, that should be the villain. Right? I mean, A, it seems like he's watching shit. I know that's not a deep cut, but like, he's watching foreign movies and and identifying actors and telling studios who to cast. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's right. I guess it's sort of, it's in one way, it's kind of hacked to see Michael Nyquist and be like, yeah, that guy should be like a Euro villain. But he kicked ass at that. You know, he yeah. should still be doing it. I mean, it's sad that he died. Like, he he should still be just churning out, like, because he just, Michael Nyquist just, like, puts a little salt on it. You know, it's just, like, a little bit better than it needs to be him playing, like, the sort of vaguely Russian guy who's, like, you know, bad. Considering this is his first American film, yeah. And then, what, he dies in 2017? Uh, he died in 2017, yeah. So in six years, he did A Mission Impossible and John Wick. That's Pretty like good. That, Pretty good. Yeah. For, from this, you know, inauspicious start in American villain roles, he got two, two all-timers on the board. And he did a couple, you know, he did a bunch of other movies, and he's in yeah. A Hidden Life. That's a great scene, like, that he did. That, you know, he's in that, that Gerard Butler, Gary Oldman submarine oh, movie killer? that i hunter haven't killer. seen but i keep being like there's gotta be something with that one right i mean gerard butler gary Oldman submarine. i think mike ryan stands for that one pretty hard. Yeah, yeah right like come on there's gotta be that has to be a little fun common and linda cardellini are in it like <laughs> oh, fuck. come on you know how bad could it be right it's directed by someone he's directed by like a an NBA 2K Donovan Marsh like just a name wow. where you're like that's just a computer created that name that's nothing uh, I, I've told the Michael Nyquist uh, uh, John Wick story on here before right yeah I've, just tell it again I, he, I'd love he, to he hear got it. hurt yeah, I'll yeah, t- yeah. It's, it's a quick story but a lot of the crew uh, from the John Wick movies worked on the tick and especially a lot of the hair and makeup team uh, there's one scene where Michael Nyquist is uh, talking to his grunts or whatever, and someone like pushes him up against a wall, 
and uh, they split his head open. It, it, the placement was just really fucking unlucky, and this, like, thug slams him up against a wall, and the back of his skull goes directly against, like, the corner of a pillar and uh, uh, cracks the skull open. It starts bleeding profusely, passes out. People were like, was there supposed to be a, a blood rig for this scene? It takes God, them a moment Jesus. to realize. Right, so then, like, he's fucked. Thankfully, he doesn't have serious brain injuries, but they got stitched up. His whole skull is, like, fucked, right? They have to, like, shave his head and full stitches down the front of his skull. And the hair team is, like, freaking out because they're like, we've shot half the movie. The whole thing takes place in this compressed timetable, right? Like, the John Wick movies are almost happening in real time we've shot all these scenes all over the chronology of the film and he's got this look and now we've shaved his head and he has the scar and we can't put a wig over it not only is the wig gonna look fake but we can't put it over it because the scar is too sensitive and they were like freaking out in the makeup chair and michael knifus just goes i wear a hat and he takes a fedora <laughs> off the table and he puts it on and he wears it for the rest of the movie and if you watch that film Sometimes he has a fedora and sometimes he doesn't. That's how you can tell which scenes <laughs> were so shot good. before and after he got a skull crack. But he was just like, I wear a hat. He's fine. Don't care. And they went, but you weren't wearing the scene. The, I wear the, I, he put the hat on at some other point. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's got a hat. You know. The guy's got the hat sometimes. <laughs> Puts up emphasis sometimes. Yeah, I just think that's a great story. Like, he's just no nonsense. Like, I, I put the hat on sometimes. I love that. But here's the thing about the great Michael Dykfus and like the other six good actors who are in this movie. <laughs> yes. None of them are good. It's not no. their fault. Like, you know, but like you're when they're cutting to Molina or Nyquist or Sigourney or whatever, you're like, okay, well, all right, good. Now, now, now I'm going to get five minutes of, of something. Yeah. Right. But they don't have anything to do either. They, none of one has like Sigourney's big move is to use Mylar, balloons graduation balloons wedding balloons, in order to shield nathan harper from being seen that's what they gave her to do in her big like introduction reveal i'm not your therapist i'm actually a cia agent i've got 12 balloons stand behind them and then her 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 quote-unquote quippy action movie line after that is she releases these balloons so they cover up the security camera in the hospital and then i believe she says I hate balloons. Why? They just did you a favor. <laughs> they, they seem fine. What's your problem? If you hate them that much, you don't have to use them for a fucking disguise. Wait, Get a flower the, arrangement. There's a scene early, her big action scene. I get you know, is when they're, she's driving them and she's yeah. like, "Forget the girl," and she's saying like. I'm, you know, there's going to be one second. I'm going to, you know, drift this car around a corner over a bridge. There's going to be mm. a ridge that you're going to jump over. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then he jumps onto what just looks like grass, like a, a slight slope, like nothing. You know, I was expecting him to jump like into the air, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. maybe do like a roll or something. And so, like that is abduction. That's the whole movie is just. It's kind of like a movie that watched The Born Identity and is like, yeah, we're doing that, but then they don't actually know how to do that. But here's like, what should the main juice of this movie be, right? I'd say, A, this kid figuring out who the fuck he is, right. what his history is, who his real parents are, you know, shit that, like, I imagine if Singleton had signed on to this and had actually been given, like, space. And a fucking year to redevelop the script to his tastes, he probably would have honed in on thematically, right? You would have had anything in the first act of the movie about this fucking kid's relationship to his father yes. and some sense of longing and anything that makes it like more of a rug pull when 
he finds that his parents aren't real and more of a longing actively throughout the rest of the movie trying to figure out where he does come from. But also, the juice of this movie should be, secondarily, getting all these fucking pro actors, right? People who just fucking are in the pocket, know how to show up for something like this and just deliver the goods. Getting tossed around from one to another with all of them saying, no, I'm the one you should trust. Yeah. Like, it should be that paranoia right. of... who, Right, Who who's telling you the truth? Man, right. there's so right. many reliable veteran actors here that I don't know who to believe. Right. right? Melina seems chill, but Sigourney's a legend. Like, what do I do? And I feel like that Sigourney car scene is the only one that comes close to feeling like, hmm. Like, when she's giving her, like, there are only four of us. Who's the name of the guy on the phone? Huh, that's Alfred Molina. Okay, he was my boss. He might not be anymore. She, She just is able to toss that off with enough of a quiet Sigourney confidence that I was like, this is the one time in the movie where I'm actually kind of interested in whether or not I can trust the adult figure in his life. Whereas every time Melina's on screen, I go, I don't know, whatever. I mean, they they blow it off the bat with the reveal. So uh, Kevin and Mara, uh, played by uh, Jason Isaacs and, and Maria Bello, have been raising Nathan for 16 years secretly. He is not their son. He comes to realize that he is not their son and he confronts sort of uh, Mara about it. And uh, she doesn't fight it at all. She's been keeping this secret for 16 years and she's just like, yep, that's true. You're not my, you're not, uh, you're not our son. What? Like, can we? It's so uh, bizarre. (laughs) I'm also not your therapist. Right. Who are you? Yeah. But, But also it's such a deflation to like, Try not to just criticize this movie for what I think it should have been instead, right? But let's just say, if if there is the movie in which suddenly he realizes he can't trust anybody, right. that everybody's in on it, and the reveal that comes in the last 10 minutes is, actually, all these people cared about you a lot. You were not abducted. They were not villainous. These were all friends of your parents. They were in on it together to protect you and protect them, right? That's something. But to very quickly just have Maria Bella go... Yep, you're right. Yes, you are part of a weird conspiracy. I love you very much. I do genuinely love you as a mother. We are friends with your parents. I'm sorry, I'm going to take a bullet really quickly. I'm dead. Just feels like, well, you're not getting the ultimate payoff of his parents were really his parents. They did raise him. They did care for him. It wasn't an act. And you're also not getting the paranoia tension of, oh my God, my parents, who are they? Did they kidnap me? Do I hate them? Like you, the second the parents become a threat, they're immediately defanged and then killed. And then he's grieving them in in five minutes. In act two, when he uh, refers to them, he calls them Kevin and Mara. He calls them by their name. He's a me. He was raised by these two. He loved them as parents. And within 20, less than 24 hours, he's already the, I'm calling these people by their first names. They are not my parents. He drops them. That's a fucking movie. Like, I don't need this big chase movie. You can make a thriller that is a dude realizes he's the kidnapped kid and spends a movie trying to figure out whether or not his adoptive parents are criminals. Right? That's probably what this fucking script was in the first place. If it's described as Hitchcockian and someone had any interest in it off a spec script. Yeah, that's the structure of the face on the milk carton. Act one is her being like, why is my face on this milk carton? Are my parents bad? Right, And then act two is she, the dam finally breaks, but there's a lot of tension. And the parents are like, no, 
this is the situation you were dropped out to spoil the face in the milk cart, but you were dropped off at her front door by our real daughter. Right. But and and she was your mother. And then Act Three reveals that's not true either. But the parents didn't know it. And like it's perfect. It, you know, it's got two Hitchcockian like about turns. Whereas this is like you're actually the son of a super spy. And then the final twist is like, and also he had some data, like he had a list. Right. That's the second twist. Who cares? But also, as you said, it's truly within the span of five minutes that he confronts his mom about it. She owns up to it with radical transparency and emotional honesty and then gets murdered. You know, it's a movie that does the thing that you're talking about. You're both talking about really well uh, for, you know, it's not necessarily a good movie, but I think it does it. This kind of thing pretty well is running on empty, running on empty. Oh, that's yeah, the kind. That's Ryan. the kind that's of. Oh, movie. I am not yeah. who I thought I was. There's this. There's yeah. this long, long backstory yes. that I had no idea about. I'm just learning about it now. It explains a lot of things. Pieces fall into place over the course of the movie, yeah. uh, and it seems like maybe this. The original script was something like the River Phoenix uh, vehicle running mm-hmm. on empty, where he. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but apparently not. Apparently, they decided to go a different way. <laughs> It's just all the wrong decisions. I mean, it's also just like, even just in terms of, I think, how poorly this movie sets up the central romance, right? (laughs) Of just like, uh, okay, so you start cold open at a party. Right. Here's John Singleton. He's done some great fucking teenager party scenes, right? Like, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking about the fucking Doughboy backyard party. Yeah. And Boys in the Hood, and how there's a sense of actual like life and vibrancy there. I feel like he gets the social energy of a party, the dynamics of it. Feels like there's a density to it. This is just randomly cutting to different background extras, background actors, just kind of glibly like giving a thumbs up and holding a red solo cup, right? Like it just feels so non-specific. He's talking to his best friend about fake IDs, yeah. And then like there's the next door girl that he's always had a crush on. She's got this jerky boyfriend. They get in a fight. Taylor Lautner sort of like gets in his face. He passes out in the front lawn with his shirt off. His dad comes and picks him up embarrassed. Then he gets assigned to a school project with her. She comes over, immediately goes, hey, check out this cool website. The website's a phishing scam just for him. (laughs) Then when he solves the mystery, he goes over to her because she's the only person he trusts. And then they're off. And the movie like never kind of digs into like... The the what should be, I guess, the fucking like Peter Parker, Mary Jane. I'm right. the sweet boy who's never had the courage to tell you I've had a crush on you this whole time while you've dated a bunch of jerky guys. Even even after the, the roller coaster ride starts, there's that that love, that romantic uh, relationship doesn't track within itself. I mean, the, so they spend the night after diving out of uh, their th- the therapist's car. They spend the night yeah. in the woods holding each Diving other. Diving is, is it, strong. Okay. okay. They, Rolling they out. hop out. Yeah, they hop yeah. out. Uh, they spend the night in the woods on a blanket. Uh, she, uh, as she's... As they're sleeping, spooning together, she tells him that he's been crying in his sleep. Then they get on the train, uh, you know, 20 minutes later in the movie, and they get yep. to the cabin and they're like, oh, this is weird. This is awkward, isn't it? Now we're spending uh, time alone. You guys, it, why is it weird? You you slept in the woods spooning each other. <laughs> also, they've <laughs> known each other since they were six. Like, it's well, like this movie has 
it, the energy of their Look. dynamic as it's if they were she was the new girl at school yes, and right? on her first day she got assigned to his lab partner and they're getting to know each other in real time but the movie is actually telling us that they've known each other for fucking 10 plus years and just have never crossed that threshold this is the problem though look like they, uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver when they're in the car says like dump the girl you don't you know you don't need mm-hmm. that right and then there, that's supposedly there's that's the rift between them a little bit as she's like well did you know maybe you should have gotten rid of me like, right. didn't you know like and the answer to that is like absolutely he should have gotten rid of you you yes. provide nothing you're not helpful not not in a rude way it's just like what are you doing here you're yes. in danger <laughs> like just go home you're not involved in this at all and in so like what should be binding them together is electrifying chemistry like that should be well like, yeah of course you should go home for your own safety but i think you know i can't resist you and instead it's like yeah it's like they they got told by their biology teacher they have to be together and they're like okay right you know like they're, they're not there's nothing going on between them no and she's cute i love lily collins emily in paris i well, think about that know. fucking scene in the first raimi spider-man movie where he's taking out the garbage and she's walking out of her home sure. with her shitty dad yelling at her. And it's like that scene is like what you fucking need in a movie like that to just set up immediately all the history. This is the first time that Mary Jane is actually kind of seeing Peter in a different way. Right. That he's sort of starting to show how much he's actually paid attention to her over the years. But it's like simultaneously establishing the history of these two characters, their adjacent lives, this line that's never gotten crossed, and both of them considering the potential for the future. And it's like, that doesn't take long. That's a three-minute scene. But this movie doesn't do any of those scenes. Like, the closest thing it does to that is the scene where Jason Isaac trains Taylor Lautner. But it feels like that's the most they invest in setting up any of these relationships. In a movie that's all about who can you trust? The scene you're talking about, Griffin, like those are movie stars. Like I know yeah. that at the time, maybe you wouldn't say like, oh, you know, these guys are, are but, though, you know, but that's why that movie works because they yeah, correctly identified the yeah, movie yeah. stars. <laughs> they made movie stars. Yes. The movie, I, I feel like attempts to do that in a really yeah. ham-handed way when they're at the party, uh, ta- you know, Nathan is at the party and then all of a sudden uh, uh, Karen shows up with this completely, we never meet him boyfriend who is standing yes. next to her and she- The Flash Thompson. Yeah, the Flash Thompson. She locks eyes with Nathan. There's what is, I, I guess they th- were trying to generate electricity in that moment and the boyfriend looks at her like, "How I can see that you love this person. And that's really it. That's- that's the only suggestion that Lily is unhappy in her life, that there's something else that only Nathan can can fill for her. Well, this movie also has some some oddly stylized zooms, right? Because you consider this is a born ripoff. It's in the wake of those movies being so big and the green grass style kind of dominating this type of thriller and like something like the taken trilogy is sort of the inept version of that where it's just a thousand cuts and these quick zooms in all of that but you're sort of getting into like docudrama style right this movie has these zoom ins that feel like they're out of fucking nashville like they're (laughs) these like weird sort of like pointedly artificial altman zooms where that one of them is uh uh, pushing in on um, uh, Lily Collins as she dramatically rips up the photo of her oh and her God. boyfriend in half, which is, that's how you know she doesn't like him anymore. But then she also <laughs> says 
to Taylor Lautner, like, I gave you that look at the party because I was hoping you could kick him in the head. And then he's like, what do you mean? And she's like, I live next door to you. I watch you doing that shit with your dad. Which is also just a very bizarre dynamic of just like, okay, we live next door to each other. We don't talk that much. I watch you doing weirdly aggro physical training with your father. <laughs> I imagined if I gave you the nod, I could perhaps unleash you attack dog style. <sighs> I re- I'm reading, look, this is sad, sort of, but like, this is a quote from a Taylor Lautner profile. It took a long time to decide what the first movie outside the franchise was going to be. I wanted it to be special. You go with your passion and what Gosh. your gut tells you. I mean, the quotes these people are giving is about a different movie. Like Singleton in that piece is like, this is it. This is that first starring role. People don't know what to expect from Taylor. And when they see it, they're going to be like, whoa, I get that you have to sell your movie. There's yes. no way anyone watched the rough cut of abduction and was like, he's burning up the screen. Yeah. I can't no, believe no, no, no. this. Like, you know, yeah. I, you know, uh, I, th- this Denzel Whitaker, Denzel Whitaker plays, uh, his, his pal, right. His mm-hmm. friend, uh, right. probably know him best for playing Forrest Whitaker, young Forrest Whitaker in black Panther, despite not mm-hmm. being related to Forrest Whitaker, despite yes. having the name Whitaker. Anyway, but he like also, he's, by the way, played Forrest Whitaker's son in the great debaters, a film directed by Denzel Washington. <laughs> he is related to neither of them. Yes. Um, uh, let me explain the pandemonium that Taylor has. He has like three to 400 fans coming out each and every day, showing up with posters, showing him love. Uh, the cool thing about him is he loves his fans. He's humble about it. Hollywood hasn't gotten to him. That's the type of dude he is. We, we like, you know, he's just like, everyone seems to like the guy. Like every, everyone is giving these quotes that are basically like, he's friendly. He's, he's sweet. Like he's not being changed by this insanity or whatever. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's 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 just sort of it's a it's a bummer that that there's there's absolutely nothing in this movie that I can speak for. Well, he's kind of boring and he's a bad actor. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't work I mean, anymore. but it also I mean let's <laughs> let's point out there's also this quote for him where he's talking about like what he wants to do in his career, right? And he's saying like my dream is to continue to challenge myself in a wide variety of roles and genres. I like having fun with comedy. So like Valentine's Day, Funny or Die SNL. He does a fucking Funny or Die video that's a Field of Dreams sequel that. around this right. time. He has a little part in Valentine's Day. I remember him being solid Cute. on SNL. Like not great, but like he was trying. He was goofy. He was not protective of his image. And that felt like, oh, he's yeah. like kind of charming when he's not flattening himself out trying to play a movie star, you know? And I feel like that also, to a certain degree, like the Twilight movies become so posy. I mean, we've talked about how like um, Pattinson and Stewart both get really flattened out as those movies go along. And it took them until after the career to sort of get their mojo back. And it feels like he permanently got kind of, maybe just because he was so young and had done so much less work before it, but so caught up in that mode of just like, it's your angles. It's how to do like the right kind of grimace, you know? Like, just how to hold your close-up. I mean, I it, watching this movie, it feels like his motivation in every scene is be a movie star. Mm, as opposed right. to any sort of trackable psychology of what this character is going through. And the character is admittedly going through a fucking lot. Going through a lot, but reacting to none of it. And the script isn't really let. <sighs> I guess the script is letting him. I don't know. My my deep question is if anyone is good in this movie. Like as I as I said before, like you know if there's the good people uh, have nothing to work with. 
Yeah. And I think Sigourney's the best and she's got the least to do in a way. Yeah. Like if Pattinson is in this movie and I don't think Pattinson was even the actor, he's become a better actor. You know, like it's not like he was absolutely ready to just sort of coast on charm in 2011. I mean, in the Twilight movies, he looks like he wants to die. Right. Remember me, Pattinson is more compelling than Abduction Lautner. Is Kristen yeah. Stewart better? Yes. Like, is he better? Yeah. Yes. Does that make the movie good? No. No. I mean, it would be, it would be a shitty D- movie. Dermot Mulroney's lips are in this. Like, it can, like, you know, <laughs> they sure are. Can we talk about I, the you know choice? What? I recognize them. I can we talk about the choice them. of just never revealing... Why would you book Dermot Mulrooney <laughs> as Nathan's so father yeah. and have shoot his lips only and then not reveal that he is the father? It's a guy with a distinctive voice and distinctive lips, too. I recognize his lips. So is it the swagger of a movie that's like, baby, this is part one. Like, get right, ready I, right. for abduction, abduction two. Reabduction, you know, like get ready. Yeah, we have Mulroney in this for a second because he's, you know, signed for three more. It's like, is it like Alita having Edward Norton at the, the end? But, but David, that's the whole point. I would buy that if it was Edward Norton revealed as his father. I know. Like, no disrespect to Dermot Mulroney, who's an actor I like a lot, but he is not someone where the audience is going to go, oh shit, if you I, reveal him. Okay, but I don't want to be rude to Dermot Mulroney, who we are now bagging on despite we I all like, like his lips. We I all like, like his... But do you think they were like, let's get a big actor? And they called 40 actors who were like, yeah. what? No. <laughs> like, yeah. And then Mulroney was like, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What, it's a day? It's an hour of work? Fine. Like, and maybe I'm in the next one? Okay. Let's also acknowledge that that thing almost never works. Like, when Edward Norton shows up at the end of Alita, people go, who is that? Like, is that Edward Norton? Am I supposed to know who that character is? You don't really recognize him because he looks weird in it. Another example of this is Killian Murphy being inexplicably in one scene at the beginning of Tron Legacy. And you're like, okay, so is he supposed to be the villain in the next one? He's overqualified. Johnny this. Depp in Fantastic Beasts is maybe the best of course. version of that. You just, and, and, and that's a disaster. They they yeah. shackled themselves to right. him. Like. Not only that, you have a good guy giving a good performance the whole fucking movie, and then the twist at the end is, now he's a shittier person. But I mean, that. The, the, the Fantastic Beasts thing is a good call, because it's like the confidence that movie has with like, yes. you don't even know. Colin Farrell is A, but we've got an A-plus lister, and yes. it's Johnny Depp! And everyone's like, oh no, Oh God! This is the th- oh like now we're stuck with him. He has to be in like four more of these. Is it Mickelson is doing it now? Correct. The look correct. is so bad. Yeah, the look is so bad. I think we uh, made the joke that it looks like he was given five minutes to rummage around in a costume bin before right. filming. And he's like, uh, one eye is weird. Uh, <laughs> right. Earring. <laughs> I mean, the Alita thing is a good one because, like, my wife loves Edward Norton. Like, anything yeah. and and, and she, th- that's all she leaves the movie. It was like, why was Edward Norton there? What's he right. doing? Where is why? Will there be more Edward Norton? Why was there not more Edward Norton? It always just ends up either feeling like a tease or being distracting and confusing. Um, abduction. This is a bad movie. We got guys. We are out of things to talk about with abduction. Yeah, it's a terrible. Think, right? Like yes. Yeah. Like I'm is there to think any literally anything else? 
Um, yeah, I, I, it's I, above. The, it's ter- go it's ahead, truly terrible. I, I just wanted to call out a, f- a few fun things. You know, it's it's please. It's absolutely it's superfluous now to just bag on plot holes. But I no, but please. I feel that I must. Uh, I love the fact that one of the way that the way that Nathan confirms that he is that child is he finds the exact shirt he was wearing on the day he was abducted oh. in his basement. <laughs> uh, the pair, the Kevin and Mara. Uh, f- Kevin and Mara kept it for some reason. They didn't destroy Throw it, it. away. It's got the stain, <laughs> the same stain that's visible on it. I love that. I love the fact that when he's fighting the assassin on the train, as the guy's got his hands around his throat, Nathan then hears his father's voice. You got to dig deep. You know, you got to come on now. You can do this. And he's calling what he's doing in that moment is calling back to the times that his father would beat his ass in the front yard like that's the inspiration he's calling on well and also like not to uh, uh, fucking compare a better version of this movie in a way again but like hannah spends so much fucking time with eric banna in isolation training this girl right like it gives you a lot of time to really build that relationship the question of like who is she why is she so shielded from the world and really selling you that once shit hits the wall, she knows how to cope for herself. You believe that Saoirse Ronan can can fight all these fucking people because you've seen the degree to which she's trained. Whereas this is just like, I don't know, the, the level of training Jason Isaacs does for Taylor Lautner in this movie reminds me of my dad trying to teach me how to toughen up because kids yeah. were mean to me at school. <laughs> come on, come on. Hit me here and then here. Right? <laughs> like, this was like shit my dad would make me do to be like, you should know how to box. And yeah. I was just like, I don't know. Please let me watch cartoons. Casting Isaacs and having him just have that material again speaks to like a Hitchcock movie that's not there where the, right. there's 40 minutes of like what's up with my dad Jason Isaacs has a creepy vibe like no offense yes. to Jason Isaacs he's good at playing that like do I trust this guy you know like he's good at that and instead no forget it don't no, tell me that he's worry. actually good and then kill him immediately <laughs> and then have a movie left an hour left uh, I mean yeah like it's the biggest this movie would be completely, we would never speak of it had Singleton not made it. Yes, no, correct. It, it, it's one of the most anonymous movies we've ever covered on this show. It, it, it would be like, you know, what is the knockoff version of Mark Wahlberg's Sniper? It's like that right. kind of right. action movie, but like the C-level version of that B-level, B-minus. Right, of a, exactly. Like of an action movie that you barely remember. Yeah. And like... You know that we've gone through in the over. You know, obviously the Luke Cage movie, like the the, the many movies that like uh, Singleton was attached to, like eight the A Team, the one that JJ dug up that I'd forgotten about. Mm. He was at one point supposed to direct Wheelman because oh. Singleton the, the was game, was right. considering several video game adaptations. He almost did what's the the Snoop Dogg one called. Um, uh, the fear and respect is the Snoop Dogg one, yes. But he almost did Wheelman, which was Vin Diesel's video game when Vin Diesel wanted to become a multimedia artist. Uh-huh. Which, of course, he became. Right, which was yeah. supposed to be a proof of concept for a movie and never happened, but the game's fun. Right. What's up with the Wheelman? Oh, it rules. He's a fucking cool guy and he drives cars. Vin Diesel had the idea <laughs> oh, okay. in I 2009. He was like a tire mutant or no, something. he was like, what if I made a franchise about me driving cars? Um, but I just look at JJ, pull up some more specifics here. The, the Singleton files the $20 million lawsuit against Paramount in 2011, right? Uh, mm. The same time 
the same year that this movie comes out, rather. And then Paramount uh, countersued. Uh, he claimed that they reneged on the deals by adding extra conditions that made uh, his uh, terms impossible to fulfill. And it became what The Hollywood Reporter called the chicken or the egg controversy, which was, did Singleton have to complete two films to get Paramount's distribution guarantee, or did Paramount have to guarantee distribution to get Singleton <laughs> to complete Christ. the two films? What a they stupid just, industry. Right. It's like fucking brazil yeah. harry tuttle bullshit that they caught him up with and uh he claims that the two things he was supposed to do were a tracy that he was supposed to produce rather to fill the deal aside from all the movies they didn't let him direct were a tracy morgan concert film directed by spike lee and a d ray davis movie which would have been him doing another uh, sort of mentoring a young filmmaker and they ended up settling it the final year the following year rather for less than 20 million dollars um, but it, you know, it, I think, uh, I, I've, I've talked about it in several episodes, but, um, uh, Shane Salerno wrote a really interesting, um, uh, obituary for him on deadline when he passed away. And he talked about how he just kind of got so fucking pissed off at the industry after that. He bought right. a boat. He loved the water and was like, I don't know, man, I just want to sail around. I, I forgot about the other, there is one other project that the Tupac movie. That that yes. re- I think that's the one that really broke him because obviously he knew Tupac. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, Tupac was in his movies. He was attached to make the Tupac movie, and like whatever was forced out because of creative differences, and like got on Instagram and was like, "People don't take him seriously." You know, they're trying to fuck up his legacy. You know, like he mm-hmm. and like John Singleton making a Tupac movie seems like a slam dunk. It's pretty yeah. weird. And like, of course that movie, Carl Franklin got signed and then Benny boom made that movie. That is God awful and still made money because people were yeah. just like, there's a Tupac movie. Like yes. I want to see that. Like, remember when that movie, they didn't screen it for critics. They like dumped it in theaters and it like made like $50 million. Cause people were like, cool. Like there's a Tupac movie. And, like, imagine if Singleton had gotten to do that before he died, at least. I'm going to get the numbers wrong here, but I remember being with you getting bagels after recording a podcast episode on, like, a Friday or a Saturday morning, right? And I pulled up Deadline, and I went, like, the Tupac movie made $20 million opening day? (laughs) And you and I were like, is this thing a blockbuster? And then it made, like... 30 million for the weekend. Right. It it dropped out fast, but people, you know, showed up for, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for for the worst execution of that. Right. And then after this, he does he does his 30 for 30 episode, which is not much loved. But he does his episode of uh, People versus OJ, which is arguably the best, I think, of that series. And then that gets him back in the FX fold. He sets up Snowfall and he was pushed off of Snowfall within the first season. He was fired off of that show before he passed away. Is that true? I, I, it's interesting. Yes. I mean, I Snowfall's still on, right? Do you guys want? Has anyone seen Snowfall? Jason, have you seen? I have not watched it's it. One but of I, the, it's... People talk about it. People are like, "Oh, Snowfall kind of got good." Like, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't know anything about it apart from that it's you know set in LA and the crack epidemic. Like, you know, that's I just know it's sort of a broadly you know historical show. That's all I know. I, I'm trying to find the timeline on this because uh, I feel like people often talk about now, like, well, he had set up Snowfall. If he had still lived, he s- still would have been doing Snowfall. But I vividly remember the deadline story that was like, there's a new showrunner now. He directed the finale of season two, though. So he at least... Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, he was involved before until he died, basically. Maybe he was just deprived. He was... Uh, uh, 
I don't know. I, I think he had more control over it and at some point pushback. Maybe it was after season two. I'm going to find this while we talk about other shit. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I mean, Jason, I didn't even ask you, like, yeah. Singleton in general, are you a fan? Like, you know, how do you feel about his other movies? Uh, I, I am a big fan of John Singleton. I mean, obviously, Boys in the Hood is a, that's an iconic, that's an iconic, legitimately an iconic film that has been, that's important to me. It's important to many people. And it's kind of a, a touchstone in cinematic history for uh, for people our age. And I, and uh, it's a shame. I can't, it's a shame that this is his last movie. Too Fast, Too I Furious. I like it. It's not that, you know, Four Brothers I had fun with. I like his I like his movies. He's got this two chunk career. It's like, you know, the, his first chunk is these serious movies that are all at least interesting. And some of them are fantastic. And then the second half is Shaft. Shaft I saw in the theater. I liked it. I, you know. Yeah. You know, Shaft, Too Fast, Too Furious, Four Brothers. You know, like where it's like, yeah, he's making genre movies. He's making action movies. He's, he's good. Four Brothers has good action. Like yeah. Too Fast has good action. The action in this stinks. I don't know if it's a Taylor Lautner problem. I don't know if it's a budget problem. I don't know if it's a prep problem. But like the action in this is pretty like, you know, I, I mean, your eye just slides off the screen. It's just, it's just that kind of a movie where you're just like, what else is going on? Yeah, like, Griffin said inert uh, yeah. earlier. And, and, and that is the case. There is, I, again, yeah, I have no idea what happened. None of us do, but I've, it, it really feels like one of those situations where there was just simply too many voices. Like obviously one of the, one of the big goals of this movie was to launch Taylor Lautner as a, as a, as a film star. Uh, I'm sure John Singleton came into this with, with some other ambitions that he wanted to do. Uh, it seemed like the studio was, was, you know, hinging their their economic future on the success of this movie there was just a lot of masters that this film was trying yeah. to serve and it ended up serving all of them extremely poorly it also feels like this movie <laughs> right. doesn't want to make a single specific choice and a thing to consider is here's john singleton he's had this bizarre career arc right he's still a fucking young dude he makes too fast too furious which is kind of like roundly mocked by everyone shaft which is supposed to start a franchise and doesn't right uh then uh, uh four brothers which is supposed to get a sequel and doesn't but was sort of seen as something of a comeback for him um and then uh you know the hustle and flow thing give him this boost yeah, and then definitely. he's just stuck sitting yeah. on a bench for five years i think it was so fucking frustrating for him that this was truly just like a movie to get made to get himself back out there because it truly is in the stupid fucking industry like it's, it's, if it's people, an idiotic industry it's 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 the you know what have you done lately shit where like if you just haven't worked in a little while people assume that something must be wrong and i think he felt like he needed to break the curse in some way and and clearly listen you know uh you mentioned carl franklin earlier carl franklin great, great director uh, carl franklin one false move is as taut and as knife's edge so a, a thriller as as you can come up with mm -hmm. uh and that's a guy who basically uh, other than a uh, devil in a blue dress you know which came out 
kind of after that really just kind of like dropped off the map in terms of like a, an awareness of his films. So I, I would imagine being a black director in Hollywood is somehow mixed in this formula because the idea that John Singleton would ever struggle in his career after coming out of the gates the yeah. way he did uh, is is really honestly kind of crazy. Yeah, look, here's another thing that must have been infuriating to Singleton. This movie comes out in 2011. It's the same year as Fast Five. Yeah. Right? He's watching this franchise that people say he killed now becoming like the franchise. And not only that, but like Fast Five is the one where they're reintegrating the characters that he developed, the actors that he cast. The franchise is starting to come back around and start to reintegrate some of the cartoonishness that he was the first to put in. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I think that must be super fucking frustrating to him. I think he's seeing all these guys that he launched who are still working at like a big level, right? Uh, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, you talk about like the Carl Franklin thing, Carl Franklin had, you know, this big indie movie, right? And then he had this like good fucking movie star thriller, but Singleton came out the gate with like a fucking culture defining movie. Yes. He's getting reported on MTV news. You know, he's like a youth icon. Yes. He's a box office and he's fucking awards and he's all this shit. He never was going to be able to fly under the radar. And I think to some degree, he probably felt the weight of being John Singleton, everything needing to be a John Singleton movie. And he talked about how he wanted to make junkier movies and thrillers and shit because he didn't want to be boxed in. He wanted to make sci-fi movies. He wanted to make comic book movies. He wanted to do all this different sort of shit. And then he got stuck in this uh, fucking rut. I want to correct myself here. The Snowfall thing, which I remembered is... They shot the pilot, which Singleton directed and wrote, and then FX, before picking up the show, demanded reshoots, rewrites, and cast changes, and he was not rewriting or directing the reshoots. So in my mind, I was like, oh, he was pushed off the show, but then he stayed on it. I think he had all controlling power at the beginning and then became one of the people. Billy Magnuson was one of the people he cast at the beginning who was then recast. Dumb. Billy, Billy Magnuson's good. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. The the whole, the the Singleton thing is odd. I mean, this is a thing. I mean, do, do, if people don't remember, he was 51 years old when he died. He's 40, whatever. He's in his early 40s when he makes this movie. Like yeah. some people, that would be the first time they get to direct. They'd be in their right. 40s. Like, you know. There's eight years in between this movie and his death. And there's like a lot of time a wasting. Yeah, I know. Right, it, that's a bummer. Look. And I, look, the the Shane Salerno thing. He talks about how he just like loved the the ocean, got in his boat all the day, read comic books, went and go, uh, would go see movies with his friends. And the last couple of years, he was feeling a little bit re-energized, re-energized rather. And he was starting to reach out, and we've seen reports of this of shit with like him reaching out to Tyrese and. Uh, Taraji and saying like maybe it's time for some kind of follow-up you know he was starting to kind of poke at things a little bit it feels like inevitably there would have been some second win for him um David yeah did you see this thread posted on our reddit by full credit here a user named got we gotta go fast 1138 which is a good username no or if I did what's the thread the thread is, and this is a really kind of heavy thing to consider, okay? 
The thread is what every blank check director's last film would have been if they passed at John Singleton's age. So this is to consider in terms of how young he was and the fact that he started so goddamn young that he got this many films made, okay? Here is every director we've covered and how their career would have ended if they died at John Singleton's age. M. Night Shyamalan, old. Wow. Rip. Wow. The Wachowskis, Jupiter Ascending. Sure. Cameron Crowe, Elizabethtown. <laughs> Ouch. James Cameron, Aliens of the Deep. Steven Spielberg, Amistad. Nolan, Tenet. Catherine Bigelow, K-19, The Widowmaker. So there's your first example of someone who makes their definitive movie after the age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Paul Verhoeven, Robocop. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> he was Singleton's death age when he made his first American movie. Right. James L. Brooks, Broadcast News. Wow. Brad Bird, Ratatouille, Ang Lee, Brokeback Mountain, Nancy Myers, <laughs> What Women Want, her second movie. Wow. Tim Burton, Corpse Bride. Oh, well, that's kind of depressing to consider. Michael Mann, <laughs> Last of the Mohicans. Wow. Yeah, he was old. He's, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he got started late, obviously. Hayao Miyazaki, Porco Rosso. Wow. Demi, Philadelphia. George Miller, Lorenzo's Oil. Nora Ephron, This Is My Life, her first movie. Gina Prince-Bythewood is now the same age as Singleton when he died, the old guard. Zemeckis, Castaway. Musker Clemens, Treasure Planet, Elaine May, Mikey and Nicky. Wow. It's, look, he died too young. It's a mindfuck. Obviously, he was 51 years old. Yeah. Griffin, let's play the box office let's game play the box office for, game. for abduction. Jason, yeah. uh, wait, you don't want to talk about the plot or to revisit anything else in the <laughs> shut movie up, abduction? Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, this movie came out September 23rd, 2011, and, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna, uh, Griff's gonna try and guess the top five at the box office this week. Abduction opened number four, which oh, is boy. not great because there are four movies opening this week, yeah, and it's not. The highest opener. It opened to $10.9 million. It grossed 28 domestic. Yeah. And, uh, 86 worldwide. Yeah, when, when they say 96, they're including video sales. Oh boy. It, oh, it, it, it was it was not a hit. The movie, the movie did uh, not. But it was not an egregious no. flop. No. Because no. it did not cost that much. Right. right. Exactly. Yes. It was cheap to make. But, but yeah. also. That's very telling if they're including video sales to juice up their total and it still wasn't 100 million. It still doesn't hit 100. Yeah. Uh, number one, though, at the box office is a movie that came out 902 weeks ago. David. That's 15 years. Yes. It's, so it's a re-release? Mm-hmm. Is of it? A, of, a, of a famous movie. Is it the 3D Lion well, King? It's the, it's the 3D Lion King. $21 million. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and this is its second weekend? It's its second weekend. It came out the weekend yeah. before. People went to see that shit. I didn't see that shit. Look, David, people no like offense. to people like the clown on old Griffey Nooms. But when I predicted that yeah. the fucking John Favreau Lion King would be the highest grossing film in history, it was largely because... Yeah, yeah, I was, but I just want to say... <laughs> the data that was heavily factoring into my yeah, prediction was this was like a, a bizarrely successful re-release. It made another $90 million. Well, people love The Lion King. They yeah. love that Lion King. That one's good. And also, it like exploded overseas 
the 3D re-release in a lot of uh, territories where movie going had not been as big. Yeah, in but the I 90s. mean, Griffin, here's the thing: the shitty, awful Lion King remake that looks like shit made mm-hmm. 1.6 billion dollars. Right, it did great. Right, so <laughs> you can say dumb prediction, Griff, but that's how much money that movie Griffin, fucking made. You were made. saying it was going to do better than Avatar. Look, I want to remind you again. that I made that prediction before there was a single image release. I, I, I know. My prediction only looked foolish when we knew the movie would look like a bowl of farts. And we didn't know that at the time. (laughs) It was a no guts, no glory prediction. Yeah, yeah. Lion King Uh, 3D, huge hit. Lion King 3D. Okay, so number two. And then Disney started re-releasing all the other things in 3D and no one went to any of them other than me. No one cared. Right, the Phantom Menace 3D, I saw that. Uh, Number two is is new this week. Is a great movie Hmm. that has only... I feel like grown as like mm. a cable classic, mm. as sort of an art movie classic. It's oh, a sports film. It's a best picture nominee. It's kind of like there's nothing like this movie. There, it's there money are no ball? sports movies. It's Moneyball. Oh, wow. I mean, one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. Yeah. Like, how many sports movies that like could, could also play on fucking TNT? Oh. And play at the Metrograph and like yeah. be an Academy Award nominated. You know what no, I mean? I, like, I, th- I think that movie is a fucking masterpiece. And my three least favorite subjects in the world are sports, numbers, and money. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, Moneyball. Do you like Moneyball? I love Moneyball. I think it's a great film. I think it does something uh, really magical, which is. Uh, Make something that is so fucking boring, numbers and baseball, yeah, into a you know, like that kind of everything you know about this is wrong kind of triumphant, triumphant underdog, yeah, yeah, rationality. It's both emotional and cinematic. And you hear the stories about like the version that Soderbergh was trying to do, and it was like this and like bananas, like there's a cartoon clippy on screen breaking things down, right? And like, like. David would, Justice plays himself, all the stuff like that. Right, yeah. like it would have been like The Laundromat, a movie I only I like, right? And then somehow fucking Bennett Miller figured out a way to make this thing work as like kind of a, a classic 70s new Hollywood movie. So good. So Moneyball, opening big, doing well, yeah. kicking abductions ass, yeah. opening to $20 million. Still, I mean, still um, getting whooped a little bit by Simba, but sure. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Not not knocking off Simba. Number three is a, an inspirational movie. Hmm. Um, animal movie. Also new this week. Also Fuck. kicking abductions ass. It's a live action animal movie? Mm-hmm. It's Whoa. not. It's not Dolphin Tale, is it? It is Dolphin Tale. Wow. Oh, wow. Yep. Dolphin Tale was a fucking sleeper because it's opening number three and it goes all the way to $100 million. Right. It was one of those word of mouth, inspirational, yeah. Word Connick tale. Jr., Ashley Judd. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Freeman's got a hat on the poster. <laughs> uh, David, I said- And a, a bow tie. I said word of tail. Word of tail. Yeah, thank you. Right. So the dolphin doesn't- have a tail, right? That's what it's about. Like they give him right. like they a... have to build a robot tail for the dolphin so he can go back in the water. And the dolphin tail too, he falls in love with a different dolphin. I think Charles Martin Smith great. directed those movies. <laughs> right, uh, the 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 guy from The Untouchables, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, all right, number number four is abduction. Number five, also new this week. Whoever decided to open this against abduction, idiotic. Another action movie that no one remembers. Um. <sighs> Hmm. What can I tell you about this movie? It it stars a multiple Oscar winner. Well, is it the gunman? Uh, no, 
Um, that's a good guess. Stars. Come on, you gotta give me credit. That's for... that kind of movie. It's that kind of movie. So it's, it's like... a post Neeson. Should we get other highbrow actors to be in an action movie? But, no, it's three actors. Fuck. It's like action oh. star, oh. Oscar oh. winner, and oh. then kind of in between. Oh. Yes. Oh, I hold on. I'm gonna be able to name the three actors before I remember the title of the film. Okay, please. This, this is the one that has like De Niro, Statham. Yes. yes. And then the third guy. Fuck. He he's like a fair he like a not James Bond. Like he's like a Clive Owen. You know, Clive Owen, yes. Yeah. And it's not called it's not called like Hunt to Kill, right? No, <laughs> although the tagline is May the Best Man Live. So my guess right. is they're they're against each other. I, I don't know. Fuck. Uh it's, the movie uh, is called Killer Elite. Oh, oh right. Killer Elite. Right. Yeah. Killer Elite. Uh, right. Jason, have you seen Killer Elite? I have I, not I've seen, seen Killer I've Elite. I've seen a few minutes on kill, of Killer Elite. I believe Killer Elite is streaming on Amazon Prime. I might be wrong about that. but I No, that, but, that, but everything you just said sounds right. You've seen okay. a few minutes <laughs> and streaming on something. Right? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, look, uh, Killer Elite. Uh, killer when elite. a mentor is taken captive by a disgraced Arab sheikh, a killer for hire is forced into action to kill. This sounds convoluted. He has to kill uh, three members of the SAS responsible for the death of his sons. I don't get it. So there's a fourth guy, too. Dominic Purcell is in this movie, uh, old potato head from uh, Prison Break. You know, um, everyone knows. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, this movie is also written uh, based on a novel called The Featherman, written by yes. Sir Ranoff <laughs> Fiennes, yes, who, in yes. addition to being uh, cousins to uh, uh, Rafe and Joseph <laughs> Fiennes, also in 1984 was crowned by the Guinness Book of World Records the world's greatest explorer. What? Yeah, if you if you grew up in Britain, you know who Randall finds is he's he's an explorer. The man explores. He's I don't know. He's fucking gone all over the world. He he's one of those guys. He's the like the record. oldest guy. He's the I think he's the oldest guy to climb Everest yes. or one of those things. Like entirely like, on foot. Yeah. He was the first yeah. one. Is that right? Yes, he's the first to completely cross Antarctica on foot. Why would you do that? That sounds so boring. And then he climbed Mount Everest at 65. <laughs> and then he sold off the rights to his book so they could make Killer Elite based on a true story. Let, let, let me let me read this incredible factoid uh, for you from uh, the Wikipedia of The Feathermen, the novel, number mm. one bestseller written by Randall Fiennes. Uh, plot, uh, here's the uh, short thing about the plot. The book tells the story of four British Army soldiers, including two members of the SAS, who were assassinated by a hit squad known as The Clinic. The murders are carried out over a 70-year period on the orders of a Dubai sheikh whose three sons were killed by British forces in Oman during a battle with the communist guerrillas. Here's the great part. Fines, Rano Fines claimed that he himself was targeted by the group, the clinic, but was savage, <laughs> but was saved Why? by a group of vigilantes calling themselves the Feathermen. This oh novel, written by Rano Fines, based on a true story. How does that get turned into this fucking movie? <laughs> Sir Rano Fines. Also, I just, I kind of can't get over. Winning, being crowned by Guinness, the world record for something that is arguably an opinion. <laughs> it's not, he is the most, it's, the, uh, he, we, we, he is officially the world's greatest explorer. I, I, I'll say this right. about, about Ranulph Fiennes and his, and, and admittedly, 
I have not looked into the claims that he is the world's greatest explorer, but I'll, sure. I'll just say <laughs> that uh, I feel like if nothing is named after you, how can you be the best? You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, colonialism was terrible. The age of European expansion throughout the 17th, 18th, 19th century. Right. People terrible. walking around being like, this is my mountain. It's called totally Mount awful. Yeah, yeah, but right, they right. did go there and they got na- <laughs> stuff named after yes. them. Yes. And after that, there was not that much else to find. Randolph no. finds. No. Yeah, I don't think he could be maybe greatest living. Ex- but no, come on. No, I don't think so. Also, when you're the third most famous find, yes. do you think he's second? Do you think he beats out Joseph? Well, now Where's Joseph these there, days? There's even hero Tiffin finds now. <laughs> That's true. It's, I believe it's finds Tiffin, but yes. Okay, fine. <laughs> you mentioned that he climbed Everest. Uh, uh, again, there is another mountain not named after him that he climbed. Yeah, That's How true. good could he possibly have been? Maybe he has some little mountain. We don't know. He probably doesn't. <laughs> Is he still alive? He's still alive at 77 years old. Amazing. I, I just feel like Joseph maybe has him. Isn't Joseph Fiennes in like... He's on the... the Handmaid's uh, Tale yes. or so whatever. Yeah. He's leaped ahead again now. <laughs> you think that like after a while he was yeah. down, but then he was like, I got this Hulu show. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like got some real energy. Around running with scissors, ran off, was running circles around Joseph. When, it, when they were doing the canceled Michael Jackson TV episode... Ranoff had Joseph beat, but now I think Joseph's pulled ahead again. I forgot about the Michael. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, can we weird. remind people that existed? <laughs> there was there was an announced episode of a British TV show that was going called, uh, Urban Myths, I believe it was called. Yes, right. That was about uh, Marlon Brando, Elizabeth Taylor, and Michael Jackson all getting in a car together after nine eleven. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> And and Joseph Fiennes was playing Michael Jackson. I want to say Stockard Shannon was playing Elizabeth Taylor. Correct. And Brian Cox is Marlon Brando, which sounds good. And it was produced and then never, ever, ever shown. They finished filming it and people protested every single element of it. I have to do this now. I have to make it my background. One second. I have to because I forgot that an image leaked out. Of Joseph Fiennes as late Michael Jackson. Yeah, that's you know. correct. I, who could forget when that leaked on the internet? Oh, my God. It's so much worse than I remember it being. It's truly, truly terrible. I mean, when you're going to look like that, why even be in it? You don't look like Joseph Fiennes anymore. <laughs> like, anyone could look he like He looks that. like Pinocchio. <laughs> it's okay. so bizarre. Ugh. Griff, I think we're done. And the only other thing is, Griff, do you have a singleton ranking? Do you, it's only nine movies, but do you have your singleton list? Oh, fuck. I didn't prepare. It's but the I can, end of singleton. I can I can do it off the dome. I did find something uh, that was named after uh, Fines. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. I just sent it into the chat. You can okay, take a look. I see. Sent it into the chat. Uh, <laughs> Sir Renault Fines on the adventures that oh. inspired his rum. <laughs> So there you go. Okay. Oh, so Randall finds his great British rum. That's the name. (laughs) Oh, man. And uh, on the rum bottle, it's like him going across the Antarctica. It's it's he's all he's all furred up. Uh, This I I, I don't know. It feels like as good a time as any to announce my new product launch. Uh, uh, Griffin Newman's good American beer. (laughs) (laughs) Not great. It's fine. (laughs) 
It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. Look, I, God, I'd love to have a liquor. Jason, you should get a liquor. You should I get like a branded. I'm not. I'm not at that level yet, but I. I think it's an aspiration, and it's certainly one that uh, that uh, you know that I think all of us share. Have you considered a vape flavor? <laughs> sure, at least a vape. Flavor. A vape flavor. Like a- I- yeah, that could be fun. I, I, I think I, I prefer flour. I think you know I've read several conflicting things about how how healthy vape fluid is for you. I, I wouldn't want to poison <laughs> people, but but I, I'd be open to it if certainly if the number was was right. Blank, blank check could have a, a like a small batch ale. I, you know, yeah, I just well, the, the 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 promo shoot you do where you like buy a big like sill, you yeah. know, like and you're yeah. like you know like, you know talking to some old guy and he's like, yeah, that's where we put the you know the barley. I, I like, would, yeah. I also want, I want us to have like a fucking Casamigos photo where the three of us are on three <laughs> motorcycles side right. by side with sunglasses. With, and, uh, yeah, anyway. Handing each other briefcases full of money. Um, uh, okay. Well, what a great talk we've had here. I, I, Jason, thank you so I mean, we're going to, we're, we're so just going to. It was my, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, I mean you've been uh, requested as a guest, one of the most, uh, one of the most requested guests oh, for this show it. for for years. And uh, when we settled on doing Singleton, and we saw this one, we were like, "That feels like a good way to make that episode <laughs> worth listening to." That was our thought, and you have Juice succeeded on that front. It's a magical movie, and listen, if if people want to sit uh, and watch a ninety minute movie that is completely unexciting and indeed uh, often baffling. Uh, check it out. The Taylor Lautner Vehicle Abduction, 2011, R.I.P. John Singleton. Rip. Um, um, rip. Yep. Uh, rip, unfortunately. Jason, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, listen to Take Line on uh, on Crooked Media. It comes out oh, every yeah. Tuesday. Watch All Caps NBA on the Take Line YouTube channel. That comes out every Friday. That's it. Be good to each other out there. Well, that's a huge yeah. plug. Be good yeah. to each other. And also, if you want to be good to yourself, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Blank Check yes. on all uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can follow us at Blank Check Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Thank you to Alex Barron and AJ McKeon for our editing. Leigh Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Thank you to JJ Birch and Nick Floriano for research. Uh, you can mm-hmm. go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit and go to our Shopify yes. page for some real nerdy merch and go over to the Blank Check Patreon, patreon.com slash blank check, where we do blank check special features, franchise commentaries, finishing up our hot tay summer with the Twilights. Will we have announced yep. what's next at this point or is that still a surprise? Uh, no, 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 we're not. So we're, we're, in the, we're in the middle of the Breaking Dawns right now. I think people will be very, very happy. Uh, yes. with that. But the last two, uh, especially the last Breaking Dawn episode, I think is uh, really, really good. Uh, now, we should we should throw out, because the schedule is going to be a little a little interesting for the next couple of weeks because yeah. John Carpenter, our March Madness winner, will be our miniseries for the fall. It's going to be a That's fucking right. barn burner. We got great guests lined up, and obviously just a, a killer, killer selection of wow. movies. But those are great. But there are a couple new release films coming out in July that we need to cover because of past episodes. And because of that, we need to do two episodes to fill the gap between our new releases. So so we just say everything we're doing right now. Sure, these are our plans. We're doing okay. another well, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. First up, July eleventh, 
Mm. It's been a while. It has been a while since Ben's choice. So it's time for another one. And Ben, of course, picked a movie that David immediately identified is not just a Ben's choice, but is perhaps a Hosley manifesto. That's right. We're doing a, a classic film, a film I love, uh, called uh, Joe Dirt. Joe Dirt. Joseph Dirt. <laughs> Joseph Dirt. Yes, we love him. And and then on uh, July 18th, uh, a, a long-promised episode we're finally getting to, uh, last summer, Tom Sharpling donated thousands of dollars to charity. Good, uh, for good, the, good on him. Good on him uh, for the fundraisers we did on the George Lucas talk show. And he often would ask for some sort of uh, uh, prize or punishment in exchange for the money he donated, such as making me uh, drop a pastrami sandwich off of my fire escape. But one time what he asked for was a second reckoning with a film that perhaps we did not investigate thoroughly enough in one episode alone. So we are going back to the well and doing another episode on the Martin Short movie, Clifford. Yeah. It is David's... A former Ben's choice. Thrilled about this. It is Clifford 2, Hyper Clifford, a sequel to our first episode about Clifford. Uh, yeah, so that's next after Joe Dirt. That's right. And then there are two new movies to talk about. Space Jam, A New Legacy, which looks great. Yep, it looks perfect. It Does, doesn't look like there's anything fucked up about that movie. No, absolutely not. The cinema is still alive. The movies are back. Space Jam, A New Legacy. My brother, James E. Newman, coming back for that one. And then August 1st, we're talking Shyamalan. We're talking old. Marie Barty is going to make her first uh, main feed appearance on the show. Yep, and then, then Ben Carpenter. Then we'll start Carpenter, and Hotel Transylvania yeah. Four got pushed back, so that will happen mid Carpenter. <laughs> of course, I'm so excited for Carpenter, you guys. That's gonna it's, be so it's gonna fun. be fucking fun. It's gonna it's be fun. It's gonna be great, Jason. It's gonna be fun. And look, uh, it, Singleton's been a fun uh, journey. I'll say it's weird because uh, you know we usually record episodes months and months and months in advance, right? And we were banking up a a absurd an absurd amount of episodes in advance of uh, you and your wife having a child, David. True. And yes. then uh, during your paternity leave, I started dealing with health issues and our sure. getting back into recording schedule was uh, was slow and very gradual. And so this has been a very drawn out record. We've spent like six months with Singleton in our brains um, yeah, because nine movies. Yeah. Right. We, we kind of recorded all of Musker and Clements and May and the first half of Singleton within like a month. And then we, the rest of the Singleton episodes were very uh, spread out. Um, but it's been a very interesting sort of like uh, time to immerse ourselves in and, and sort of this kind of last hurrah in a way for like, uh, I don't know, real auteur careers within the studio system. Uh, and it's it sort of, uh, I don't know. It, 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 obviously, there's the X factor of him dying so young, but uh, it, it does kind of presage, I feel like, what uh, happened. Uh, to the industry in general and with that shall we do our quick uh singleton rankings david it's easy i'll run it down for you right now boys in the hood Uh number one rosewood number two great Mm -hmm. movie baby boy number three those two are kind of close for me both like very interesting very good not totally you know perfect movies then i have poetic justice at four and too fast at five Mm -hmm. four brothers at six and then shaft higher learning abduction are fairly clear seven, eight, and nine for me. 
You're right. probably different, Griff. You like higher learning more than me. Yeah, I mean, here's the bananas thing I'm going to do. Number one is Boys in the Hood. My number two favorite is higher learning. I'm a lunatic. That's crazy. Arrest that's, me. That's send me to jail. <laughs> that's weird. Um, okay. Higher learning number two, then I would go, hmm. I think I go Baby Boy and then Rosewood, but those are pretty much sure. split for me. I, I obviously want to acknowledge that Higher Learning is a more inherently flawed movie than Rosewood or oh, Baby Boy, but I love it, and it kind of, for me, is like the purest kind of uncut singleton movie. Then I go, hmm. Then I go Too Fast. Then I go Shaft. Then oh. I go Four Brothers. Then I go oh. Abduction. Yeah, Four Brothers Love. Four Brothers is fun. I Look, I... Like them all other than abduction. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. They're enjoyable movies to watch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's it. Goodbye, John. That's been our episode. Goodbye, John. It's been nice spending some time with you. And as always, thank you for having me. It was wonderful. It truly our honor. And uh we'll we'll have you on again sometime soon. Yeah, man. And and just because I want to end singleton on a somewhat positive note yes. since this is such a downer shitty movie for his career to end on i want to just uh list some accolades that abduction received so and as <laughs> okay. always as okay. clearly outlined on the abduction uh, wikipedia page um abduction was nominated for a golden reel award for dialogue and adr in a feature film Okay, you say perhaps that's not that great of an award. Uh, <laughs> most unnoticeable ADR. Well, hold your horses. It did win the Teen Choice Award for Choice Movie and Choice Movie Actor. Jesus. In the genre of action. It <laughs> was nominated. Right there. <laughs> nominated for, but didn't win Worst Actor. Taylor no, Lautner. Sandler. Split Sandler beat him out. Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 1, right? Uh, uh, Sandler bodied him for Jack and Jill. And my final note for the John Singleton miniseries, I do want people to know that it didn't win, but Abduction was nominated at the Golden Trailer Awards Best Standee for a Feature Film. 